You now tuned in to the Gunk Town Podcast. I'm your boy Doug B. We ain't got nothing to talk about, but we got something to talk about. Let's go. Good people, good people, good people. Welcome back to the Gump Town Podcast, episode 77. I'm your boy, Doug B. If you tuned in to this podcast, thank you for your time and your attention. I really appreciate you giving this podcast a shot. Today's guest, he is the founder and owner of The King's Canvas. I'm looking forward to this conversation, and I'm sure you all will be inspired by his story. Let's chop it up with Kevin King. <laughs> Kevin, how's it going, man? Hey, it's going good, man. Doing well. Glad to hear that, man. First things first. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to chop it up with me a few minutes. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you for having me. Yes, sir. Of course, we're here to talk about the King's Canvas, but before we go there, let's get to know the man behind the brand. What's your story? My story. So I grew up doing art. I'm from Mobile, Alabama. Um, grew up doing art all of my life. Um, 17 years old. Um was about to graduate high school, and I was known for being an art guy. So at this time, I had, you know, won national competitions, placed in uh, state competitions, in a local competition. So I was known as an art guy. But for some reason, uh, in 1996, upon graduation, you know, well-meaning adults in my life basically said, hey, uh, you need to pick a real major, get a real job. You can't do this art thing as a, you know, as a, as a career. Uh, you need to figure out how to do that as a hobby, but still focus on your career. So I went to Tuskegee University and majored in mechanical engineering instead, trying to figure out how to utilize my art until I, re- you know, and it didn't take me long to realize that it didn't give me the same creative freedom that we desire as artists, right? It was restrictive. And so I did that for a while. And after 17 years, man, I didn't do any art at all, right? Because I just thought it was a waste of time. And after prompting up my wife and my daughter at 35, and this was in uh, 2013, um, I ended up uh, being gifted some art supplies for Father's Day by them. And my wife's words to me were, I'm taking away your excuses for not creating. And that kind of opened up the door for me, you know, a creative door to be able to, um, I guess, re-explore just that creative side that I had that I honestly forgotten about. I suppressed it. And it was awakened, you know, just by me getting the gift of art supplies. And so that was basically it, man. You know, and I quickly realized in Montgomery that it wasn't really a place for black visual artists. Um, we were underground, but there were no opportunities available. There was no access to exhibitions and shows and any type of art opportunity that can gain us exposure um or to create economic opportunities and so that's how the king's canvas came into play i wanted to provide opportunity and access for underdeveloped and underexposed artists uh, i'm the type of cat who really don't like trying to infiltrate people's circles who don't want me in them uh, i thoroughly believe in us building our own platforms to be able to facilitate the opportunities that our people need especially those who are marginalized so that's it in a nutshell bro wow man it's a powerful story man appreciate that breakdown and the transparency so let's go back a little bit i know you said you came in mobile what was the upbringing right. like in mobile and is it much different than montgomery uh mobile is a uh, it, it's crazy because you know being on the gulf coast uh the culture in mobile was different uh my mom and dad divorced when i was about nine months and my dad moved to montgomery so i had an opportunity to live in mobile but to spend all of my summers and spring breaks growing up in montgomery 
And uh, <laughs> and I'm gonna just say this, man. Uh, and it could, I, I love Montgomery. Montgomery is my home now, so I, I mean this in no derogatory terms at all. But it always seemed like even back then that Montgomery was behind. Now I understand why, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but it seemed like in a lot of ways, just from my vantage point and in the sphere of influence that I was in at the time in Montgomery, um, I didn't necessarily see progression. But of course, as a kid, you don't see everything. And and, and even like now, um, we appear to lack progression at times. But then I was like, I'm like, yo, I know a whole group of us who are progressive. And then most of them are from Montgomery. You understand what I'm saying? And so mm-hmm. I think that the culture uh, is different in a lot of ways. But I think due to what happened here uh, during the civil rights movement, um, you look at the Great Migration, I ain't trying to get all deep with it, but when the Great Migration took place, racial terror still existing down here in both cities, but Montgomery being a city that was uh, especially due to our riverfront, uh, due to like the slave market here, it was different. And I feel at some point, um, the rest of the nation just kind of passed us. You understand what I'm saying? They passed us because we were dealing with the day-to-day struggles of just surviving, right? Cats ain't have a whole lot of time to, you know, rebel or to revolt or, you know, to protest, right? That's why when Dr. King came in, he was looked at as a outside agitator by black elites in Montgomery. <laughs> Some <Right>. black elites. So, <laughs> right. Like I said, I ain't trying to get too deep with it, but, you know, on, on a basic level, I, I noticed simple stuff like when I was in Mobile, uh, fifth grade, and I would visit Montgomery. I noticed the, the haircuts that they wore were, were haircuts that we wore back in the days when I was in the first grade. <laughs> weird, weird stuff like that, but yeah. But I remember that because I remember having conversations with my older brother at the time, who was a student at Alabama State, and my older cousin, who was also a student at Alabama State. I'm in the fifth or sixth grade, and I'm asking questions, and especially when I got to the ninth grade and I started visiting my brother in college. Mm-hmm. I started asking questions like, wait a minute, man, they still wearing this up here? Or <laughs> uh, that dude still wearing that haircut? Mm-hmm. You know, and so, you know, I know that's silly, but, and I've never even uttered those words to anybody, let alone on the podcast. I don't even know how this is going to go over. <laughs> man, you good, Kevin. You ain't saying nothing derogatory, and everything you said spot on. I'm born and raised in the gump, and we always been behind for for reasons we all know why like this city isn't about progression it's slow on progression it's all about sticking to the Mm -hmm. old times and right (laughs) right yeah so it's thankfully there are a lot of us thankfully there are a lot of us who are committed to montgomery's progression i have a lot of my mobile people who are like man you've been away from mobile in 98 you mean to tell me you ain't gonna never come back home and do anything that you're doing there but i mean montgomery's home for me now man i've Mm -hmm. i've now lived here longer than i've lived in mobile Wow. No, nah, yeah, man. Everything. Been, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I've been here for what? 21 years mm-hmm. consistently. Yeah. Wow. It's powerful, man. So grew up in Mobile, finished high school in 96 and went on to Tuskegee University. Tell me yeah. about the HBCU experience from your perspective. <laughs> so my HBCU experience started when I was probably nine or 10 years old uh, visiting. Um, you know, I went to my cousin's graduation in 1986. Uh, 86, 87 in Tuskegee, you know, uh, Arthur Coleman, he was, he's a Q. And I got a chance to watch him graduate. I got a chance to watch the Q step on the air. And so went going from that to my uncle Shorty, who 
raised me in a lot of ways as a man, uh, just taking me to a lot of the uh, Magic City Classics and uh, Bayou Classics and Tuskegee Homecoming. I grew up just seeing that and just being around that. And, uh, and I, you know, and of course, watching the, the different world a lot. You know, it's like my mind was conditioned to uh, just to go to an HBCU. And so, mm-hmm. you know, being at Tuskegee was rich, man. Um, you know, just history classes, just the, the, the culture and just kind of learning who you are. That was an argument back in the days before HBCU culture uh, became popular nationally uh, on whether or not HBCUs needed to be eradicated, whether or not they should um, just join PWIs. We didn't call them PWIs at uh, that time, but, you know, those discussions was, ba- was centered around whether or not we actually need a HBCUs and whether or not we were getting a real world experience. And I think at that time, a lot of us had come to terms with the fact that we just felt like this was the last line of defense for us as black college students, because once we left HBCUs, we believed that it really prepared us to actually deal with the world in a real way, as opposed to dealing with a lot of the things that, um, you know, our black friends had to deal with who had PWIs, right? Uh, it, it literally trained and developed us. Uh, and a lot of our value and self-worth came from just being a part of these strong uh, institutions with rich history uh, that cultivated who we are as black people. Yes, sir. So it, was spot- a dope, it was a dope experience, man. Yes, sir. That's spot on, man. I, my HBCU experience was very similar. Like you said, to your point, a lot of our um, black sisters and black brothers, they went to those PWIs. They yeah. more or less, they were just a number, but at the HBCUs, and it sounds like at Tuskegee, they ingrained this in you without you even realizing that, hey, you belong. No matter what room you right. go in, you belong. You greatness, you know? Yeah. Right. They sure did. <laughs> yes, sir. That, 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 subconscious, that subconscious inferiority complex was definitely dealt with. Oh, yeah. You know? No doubt. <laughs> you, no doubt. You, man. you don't. I mean, I, I know everybody has their individual struggles, but with me, um, I mean, it was just the way I grew up, period. But I think. Tuskegee really cultivated and solidified the fact that, man, I ain't superior. I'm, I'm not inferior to anyone. I'm not superior to anyone. Right, but right. I'm definitely not inferior to anyone. You oh, without question. Saying? No doubt yeah. about it, man. And that's cool. You got the HBCU exposure as such a kid. So it was no doubt where you were going. You going to yeah. HBCU, no doubt. Definitely, definitely. You know, and I, you know, I'm 44, bro. I grew up listening to Public Enemy, X-Clan. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> Four Righteous Teachers. You know, we grew up watching, you know, the cops were showing a different world and and even Martin, they would have these HBCU sweaters on all of the time. Like it was literally ingrained in our culture, bro. Just in our upbringing. Yeah, and that that's so true, man. I'm I'm 35, so I'm so I'm I'm a decade yeah. behind you. And I just uh, I remember watching Martin growing up, but when mm-hmm. I when I got grown, I started looking back, I was like, Martin was really putting on for the HBCUs, man. Like that was right. that was cool. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yes, sir. So the King's Canvas, man, let's talk about the King's Canvas. So okay. I know you said in 2013, that's when you got reintroduced to art. Uh, you you received those gifts for Father's Day. So when right. exactly was the King's Canvas? When did you find, find the company? Oh, uh, that was 2018. We came with 501c3. Uh, at the end of 2017, we were incorporated because this idea of the King's Canvas had been cultivated since maybe 2016 sometime, but 2017, um, you know, we were incorporated and officially became a 501c3 May, uh, I'm sorry, March of 2018. Okay. So I keep coming up on our fifth year. 
<laughs> wow, congratulations, man. Hey, that's dope. That is dope. Yep. So whenever I have, so exactly what do you have going on over there at the Kings campus? All right, so it's a few things. So I kind of wanted to, the way I can break it down to you, bro, is the fact that I wanted to do what was done for me. My wife said, hey, I'm taking away your excuses, so I'm going to give you art supplies. We have a lot of artists who are up and coming who were, you know, kind of starting out who didn't have supplies. And so I said, yo, I'm going to just start giving away art supplies like my wife gave me just to take away people's excuses not to create. And the home that we live in at the, at the time, she said, yo, I'm going to just stick you in the middle of the corner, you know, just keep it as clean as possible. But this is your studio area. You can do your art here. And I started finding out that artists didn't have studio space. So at the time, you know, we're doing work in the West Side. I'm working for another organization that I co-founded uh, in Washington Park. And, um, you know, I got a little studio and I gave people a space to create. I uh, started teaching uh, or, or taking entrepreneur classes from a good friend of mine, a business mentor, Boyd Stevens. Um, you know, he taught me all of these uh, problem and solution business practices. Um, and we started teaching that because we said, okay, if we artists who make bad business folks, sometimes uh, we need to be able to uh, possess skills in order to learn business. Uh, business practices uh, when uh, not only places. And so for us, the King's Canvas is an art studio. People come there and they create, right? But we also have like this uh, outdoor uh, venue, uh, performing arts venue, where we have a lot of performing artists that come out and do stuff in the spring and the fall. But this, the 30,000 foot view outside of us being a studio and providing entrepreneurial classes and also having, um, an outdoor performing arts venue and also connecting with people like Michelle Browder and Kalanja Gilchrist and people and others like that who host events that a lot of the artists who are affiliated with us can get a, you know, to be, can be a part of so it can give them further exposure and opportunities. I mean, it's something called creative placemaking. Hmm. Creative placemaking is uh, basically when you use arts and culture as a conduit to address issues centered around community and economic development. And the way that goes is, you know, the National Endowment of the Arts back in, I think it was 2007, 2008, they came out with this study that said in a larger metropolitan area that's ever had any economic progression, they attributed to the arts 100%. Like the arts has always been a part of it. Now it's like, yo, if this is working all over the nation, why couldn't it work in a place like Montgomery and historically marginalized, economically distressed community like Washington Park? So what we did on site as we basically put up a mirror that says, welcome to West Side Montgomery. Because we realized that there were no colorful, large scale murals that tourists can come and say, hey, I just want to prove that I went to Montgomery by taking a picture in front of the sign. And I said, what if we can actually utilize this as a strategy to activate the land while simultaneously beautifying this place so the residents in this neighborhood, my neighborhood, Washington Park, can be can, can, can further be proud of living in this neighborhood, where they from, right? So when we did that, it immediately activated the land. I got phone calls from Kanisha Brown and others saying, hey, we want to have um, an event in that land that's adjacent to your, to your building where the mural is. And I started asking questions, why? And they said, well, we believe the mural looks good at pictures. It's a dope venue. This is a perfect spot. It's a lot of land and, you know, uh, we can have a good time there. And so the land was immediately activated. 
Another thing with creative placemaking says when you do that, business owners are not going to come on the scene because they know that they can have a sustainable business in that community. So I got approached by Fred and Anthony Brock and he said, Kevin, um, what do you think if we open up a literacy center right next to a coffee shop and bookstore and some of our scholars at Valley Cross, they can work there. We can use it as a training space. We can use it as a uh, just a community space. Um, and right now, uh, they're moving right next door to me. They're renting space next door to me. And in the process of renovating this area, that's going to be a coffee shop and bookstore. And next to that, I can't name the restaurant that she don't want me to say, but there's a restaurant that's moving in adjacent to that. And so we've utilized the arts to not only allow people to rediscover a sense of creativity and purpose within themselves, but we've also used it to uh, develop the community and get a community sense of pride, but to bring black businesses back to the hood, as well as using it as a destination spot for tourists to come um, take a picture in front of our sign, spend a little money, and to bring some dollars back into our community so it can circulate in our community. Wow, so, man. That's... And another thing. Mm-hmm. No, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm going to cut you off. Go ahead. Go ahead, man. <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I'm sorry. I was about to say in a nutshell, that's 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 a simple version. Uh, we, we focus on the person, uh, but we also uh, focus on the um, community and economic development through using by using arts as a conduit to address those issues. So uh, at reactivating or activating vacant and abandoned properties, there's a whole culture out there that says that that needs to happen, right? We don't like abandoned buildings in our neighborhood. We don't like vacant lots in our neighborhood. So how creative can you be? Um, how creative can we be and activate some sort of programs or initiatives that can activate this space so everyone wins? So that's what we're doing. Wow, man, that's a great breakdown. I never really understood the power of art and the way you just broke it down, how your uh, the King's Canvas, what it's doing for the community, how it's, it, it's just sparking that, bringing bringing business back to the hood now that's amazing man and um i just sitting here thinking just in here listening to your story and the fact that a a dream was reignited 17 years later so yeah. in terms of in terms of those people that didn't see your vision do you ever think and I, I know we shouldn't do what ifs but i'm just curious to know like do you ever think what if you would have started this or <laughs> were you even the person you needed to be in 96 to start this no, not this. Absolutely not. Now, on one end, I'm looking at um, the people who I know that were on the same line as I was as far as the artistic skill set. You know, I probably would have been a photorealism artist. I'm a long, you know, I'm a <laughs> long way from that. I'm a dope artist, but I'm not that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my skills suffered. But I think what I gained was... First of all, going back to just the whole engineering aspect and understanding how systems work, I got that with engineering. Like you can't just under, like my mind automatically works that way because I understand uh, systems, right? Uh, but getting out of engineering, um, co-founding a community organization in town called Coming Ground Montgomery, I did that for about seven years. I'm, I'm sorry, twelve years. I don't know why I said seven. I did that for about twelve years. So I got my nonprofit. I got my community experience from that. I got my activism experience from that. I also uh, understood uh, organizational leadership and structure. I got that from working with that nonprofit for 12 years. But coming to a point where I now read, you know, uh, this this sense of art has been reunited and I'm getting back into it. My activism mindset realized, okay, everyone didn't get the same opportunities. 
my network um, is a little bit larger than a lot of these folks, right? And so because I'm working for this other organization and I, you know, I have a, you know, my, my database is a, is a little bigger. I'm selling art with no problem. And I, I'm, I'm selling it to the point bro, what I, I could have actually lived off of it full time at this point mm -hmm. as a new artist. And that's because, you know, my relational capital with people in the city and outside of the city. And so I think this path that I took every, you know, just, Doing engineering, being an engineering supervisor at UPS and managing all of these people, uh, leaving that, doing common ground for 12 years, managing people, managing systems, uh, having compassion for the community, understanding matters of justice and mercy. You know what I'm saying? Just that whole social justice, compassion, justice, uh, advocacy work. Uh, I wouldn't have, I, I didn't have that automatically. I think the activism has always been that because of the music that I listen to, but, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, just, just my faith background, you know what I'm saying? Just understanding who the Lord is and the, the, the compassion that he shows for us as a people and the love that he has for us, for people to love and the mercy and also having an opportunity to take that and, and live that out in the community. I think I needed all of those components that got me to where I am at the King's campus today. King's Canvas wouldn't exist with all of that, without all of that. Mm. And what you yeah. just said is exactly why I never question the process of becoming what it is, I, whatever goal I set out to obtain, because everything yeah. you go through, it, it comes full circle when you finally get there. And it sounds like everything you went through, it came full circle. That's dope, man. Yeah, it definitely did, bro. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> That's dope. So whenever I have entrepreneurs on the platform like yourself, I like to cover three things, the aha moment, action, and audacity. You pretty much already okay. covered your aha moment as to what sparked the idea to create the King's Canvas and, and in terms of you getting started, officially incorporated in 2018, that pretty much covers the action portion. So in terms okay. of so the bridge between those two, between the aha moment and action, I believe is, is audacity. It takes audacity to step out there and not only have an idea, but to put action behind it. Who or what gave you the audacity to step out there and start the King's Canvas? Oh, who or what? So you want me to, how, how deep do you want me to go with that? You want me to name a person or uh, uh, events that took place? Oh, uh, man, the word is your oyster, Kevin. Cook, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I would say my, my, my mentor, Boyd Stevens, just being in those classes with the man. Uh, understanding, you know, and, and at the time, we don't call it this anymore, but at the time he called it the, the Lean Canvas Startup Business Method. Um, I remember sitting in that class and boys saying, man, I don't like dealing with artists. You know, he wasn't trying to be disrespectful. He just a straight up dude. I was like, man, why is that? He's like, man, because artists don't make good business people. That was back in 2015, 16. Now he's saying the complete opposite. I only want to work with his artists now after dealing with me. Mm. And so after working with him, my art sales doubled. And that made me a believer in the science that the business science that he taught. So as I began to think about the King's Canvas and uh, what, what could potentially be the King's Canvas, we didn't have a name yet. I wanted to take this actual business science that he taught us and utilize it in order to start this nonprofit. And so the audacity came because I was able to take that 
and apply the same principles that I had used um, to increase my art for me. I was able to utilize that same information to create something that would not only benefit me, but that would benefit people, uh, our city. And I would even dare to say our nation. <laughs> you know, and I say our nation because I've been speaking about these principles all around. I'm going to be in Mobile this weekend talking about community development. I was in North Carolina a couple of weeks ago. I got hit up last week. Somebody asked me to go to Puerto Rico to talk about the King's Canvas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so it's making a powerful impact. Um, and so I think that was my that was my moment where I was like, yo, I'm, a, I'm about to step out. But also being a black man. To think that I can be a black man in Montgomery, Alabama, that can have enough relational capital to raise enough financial capital from a nonprofit standpoint, when you don't really like asking nobody for money, when you don't like begging for money, right. that's what we want to call it, to think that I can do this full time, hire a full time administrator, and to pay her more than what she was getting paid on her last job because I was the one who hired her on her last job. <laughs> wow. But I also have a, have, a, have a bookkeeper that we on contract with. I got a chance to go to Bay and Cross Academy today, uh, doing a site visit for one of my artists that we paying to teach an art class over there. You understand what I'm saying? But to be mm -hmm. an African American male in Montgomery, uh, but to have an organization where I get to do this full time and not have to work a full-time job and pour whatever I have left into this job and figure out how my family's going to fit in it, you know, the audacity to think that that can actually happen. And I quit a job to do this. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, that yeah. takes a lot of audacity. It takes a lot of courage to quit right. the nine to five to do what you do full-time. So what is that like? In a, What's the day in the life of a full-time entrepreneur like? For me, it's different, man. People ask me that question all the time. They say, I want to shout at you because I just want to know what the normal day is in the life of the King's Campus. I'm like, yo, I ain't the normal day. <laughs> Every day looks different. Like, I may be fundraising one day. I may be at a coffee shop one day doing administrative work on my computer, but I'm at that coffee shop because I'm using this as an opportunity to not only write these grants that I'm doing or to send out these few emails that I have to send out, but... If I'm, if I'm sitting out for three or four hours, I'm at least see 15 or 20 people that I want to see because all of us frequent this place. So I use that as an opportunity to be a relationship. It looks like me being at the studio with people saying, hey, I'm at the studio. I'm about to do some artwork. Why don't, why don't y'all come up? They think we just hanging out. But for me, I'm intentionally um, employing a community building you know, principle right now. And so people are, are meeting one another. They're getting connected. Uh, we building on one another on a relationship that we have, you know, that that we have for one another. Um, it may be me like today. I was I had to get away, so I was at the library writing a grant. Um, I was writing a, um, um, you know, working on my presentation that I have to do. But sometimes it's me. I was on the phone with an artist yesterday, and we going over mural designs because we're about to do a mural for Ed Farm at Brubaker Middle. Okay. Um, it's me taking pictures on the side of, you know, taking pictures of the side of buildings because we're about to do a mirror for another organization downtown. You know, it's every, every day is different, man. You know, I'm either doing administrative work, community building, uh, uh, meet new people, to build relationships or fundraising, or I'm trying to provide art opportunities for 
um, you know, artists within the city. Hey, sound dose to me is like a surprise, and every day, man, like like crackerjack box. Is. Every day you got surprise. <laughs> it so. is, man. It's exciting. Some days are more exciting than others. Like this, this week is a pretty crazy week, you know. Um, but when I get to that space Thursday, where we're gonna um, actually be at that conference, uh, and I'm gonna be teaching, I'm, I'm looking forward to actually standing up there in front of a lot of people in my hometown, Mobile, you know. Yes, sir. That's dope, man. So was your uh, was your last employer, were, were they supportive of you when you decided to jump out there and go full-time entrepreneur? Or, or did you tell them or did you just leave? No, no, no. I told them because I was mm -hmm. a part of the, the, the start of that organization. I okay. just couldn't up and leave. Uh, but it, it was time. Yeah, and they, they were definitely supportive. Um, you know, they were supportive in a sense where they understood why I was leaving, why I had to go. Um, you know, some would have probably wanted me to stay. Uh, but at the time, it, it was just time, man. After 12 years, you know, you, you you train people and you move on and you not only want to grow, but you want to, you know, be able to continue to live out your purpose. Yes, sir. Much respect, man. I definitely understand that. It was just time. It was, hey, and uh, good, good stuff today. We're supportive of you and that's, that's all you can ask for. Hey, I, yep. I've done everything I'm supposed to do here, and just, yep. and just and just based on your personality and just hearing with the passion you speak with, I'm pretty sure you left that place better than you found it. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes I'm like, okay, I wish I wish I could have done more. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, but I think at that time, you know, you 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 reach burnout. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes you just have to regroup and you need to you need to change the scenery, man. And sometimes mm -hmm. you get to the point where it's like, hey, man, it's nothing else more that I can contribute. I don't have anything left to contribute. And so that's that's where I was. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it came, man, honestly, just to be honest with you, I was like, yo, I can I can keep getting this paycheck because I'm the number two dude. Mm -hmm. Or I can leave and free free this free these funds up to continuously have these children to be invested in and you know, hopefully that money could, you know, transition to some of these staff who need raises. Mm. But I'm I'm done here. I don't have anything left to give. Much you know? respect. And that's a great place to yeah. be, man. I mean, just to just know you gave everything you had, like you left no tables right. unturned. You left everything out there on the field. That's dope. Right. Definitely, man. And I'm doing that for the Kings Canvas, man. I don't plan. I'm, I'm 44. Do mm -hmm. I see myself doing this at 60? No. Realistically, what, you know, what's going to happen after I leave? Mm -hmm. Am I just going to up and leave? What happened to the King's Canvas? What happened to his donors? Uh, mm -hmm. What am I going to do afterwards? I already know what I want to do afterwards. Mm -hmm. But the question is, how do we, especially as uh, as Black entrepreneurs or Black nonprofit leaders, set up our entities in a way where we can have an effective succession plan um, that doesn't necessarily depend on us having to constantly be uh, the face of it, right? I was working for an organization one time, and it's one of the board members was complaining about the head guy. I was like, yo, you know, this seems like this is a personality-driven thing. But I was like, yo, what grassroots organization wasn't personality-driven, right? Mm -hmm. we, we know an organization that is, that's existed for 50 to 100 years, but we weren't there when they started. We don't know who the, who the initial founder was and all of the things that they had to go through in order to build a, a credibility to the point where it can even last 50 to 100 years now. You understand what I'm saying? So yes, for me, um, 
yeah, anyway. <laughs> oh, no, it's all good. I definitely understand what you're saying. Pretty much, you just want to leave a blueprint. So you yeah. pretty much, somebody, pretty much you can be replaced. Like, you don't want to do that right. until you're 60. I respect that. That's absolutely. That's how you do I'm business. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how you yeah. do it, man. Like, pretty much, you, you get it to a place where uh, you, you can replace yourself. <laughs> right. That's what I would love to see one day. Absolutely. So in so in terms of um, the next portion, let's talk about vision. I know the King's Canvas is doing great things, and great things are coming down the pipeline. What are your short-term and long-term goals for the business? Uh, short-term goals is simple. Um, I don't know. If, I don't think you've ever been out there, right? So uh, we saw around this time last year, we were completing a stage. That's now our performing arts area. Three months before that, we completed a deck in the front, and that's been like a, a very, very rich space for community building and fellowship. But, man, our current studio, man, we're on top of one another, man. We are cluttered. We we literally knocking over people's paintings and, you know, people's artwork have gotten damaged. <laughs> you know, it's a good problem to have in a sense where the, it's, it's really being utilized. But uh, in the rear of our building, there's a, uh, a, a much larger space that's it's a lot more spacious. Um, we're about to start renovating that to be to become our new space. Um, and so we're going to move all of our artists in the back so we can kind of, um, it can be more conducive to create back there. And we won't be on top of each other like we are now. And so right now, this is our short term. After that's done, um, what's our current space is going to become a gallery. It's going to become an art gallery because we have creatives and we need a space to have revolving art shows to constantly display people work, right? Um, but long-term, I'm thinking about the long-term sustainability of the King's Canvas and what's next. Uh, we also need a gift shop. There's a space in between the proposed studio and the current studio that's gonna that's the future gallery. That's a little space in between. And um, I don't know if you've ever been to studio B in New Orleans, but you, you you walk in this small gift shop that's heated and cool, then that's like three warehouses full of just murals and artwork done by this guy named Mike. Um, and it just, it's just, it's amazing how they had a gift shop set up. But I saw that years ago going to New Orleans to Essence. And, I, and I've always said, man, if I have a gift shop, I kind of want to pattern it after this. So that's what we're doing, especially since our area has become a tourism attraction. We want to capitalize off of that, man. People always want to buy our T-shirts. They always want to buy prints if they can't afford the original tourists. Um, they can't take back big 24 by 36 paintings. Sometimes they buy them and they trust that you will ship it to them. But mm-hmm. sometimes they want a piece of art that they can actually put in a book bag or their purse and head back on the plane with. Them. You understand what I'm saying? We sell a lot of that. And so for us, long term is uh, creating um, a revenue stream that account for a certain portion of our budget so we won't have to raise as much money and be relying upon that. Because when that happens and when we're making money, uh, instead of having to constantly onboard donors, uh, it gives us more create uh, creative freedom to not only do what we do, but it creates uh, long-term sustainability, uh, you know, just by our staff and our budget. Okay. Powerful goals, man, both short-term <laughs> and long-term. And I'm out. Hey, I'm just, hey, hey, man, you I'm over there cooking. Ah, um, it's all good, man. Hey, that's that's what it's all about, man. Just like like I said, this is all about highlighting that greatness, man. And like you just like explaining everything and those goals that you got set. I have no doubt they'll come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. 
Yes, sir. So as we wrap up the podcast, I want to ask a million dollar question. I started this podcast to highlight the greatness of Montgomery, whether you were born here or lived here for a significant period of your life, college, military, what have you. You've been to Montgomery home. Montgomery has been home for you for 21 years. So I want to ask you, what do you appreciate the most about the Gump? Oh, man, I I would say the community, man. Just the people. I've always said, man, if it, if it had not been for the people and the relationships I've built here, I wouldn't have dare stayed in Montgomery. Now my experience is a lot different, of course, but it's still the same answer as it was when I first moved here. And the people who I started out here with, a lot of them have moved on. A lot of them live in different states now, and we all keep in contact. Uh, but I've been able, my wife and I, we've been able to build a lot of good relationships here, man. And uh, for me, I, I think that's what it is about Montgomery. Uh, just as rich history uh, and the people that's here that we are able to constantly uh, live in community with and build relationships with. And we've entered into a lot of partnerships with people where we've been able to make uh, effective changes. People like Michelle Brown, people like Kalanja Gilpers and, you know, Charles Lee. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the Arts Council has been, uh, you know, a, a huge support to us. And, you know, I got I have some friends over there, some genuine people. Um, so people, artists like Milton Madison, I can't name everyone, just too many people to name. Um, so just the people, man, you know, that's, that's kind of what, that's what keep me going. Yes, sir. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. So how can people connect with you, Kevin? What are your social media handles and website? So people can connect with me by following, uh, The King's Canvas. Uh, you have to add the T-H-E on the front of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's Instagram, Facebook, but we also on TikTok. That's The King's Canvas. Uh, we on Twitter, even though we don't tweet a whole lot. Uh, we on Twitter as Canvas MGM, C-A-N-V-A-S-M-G-M. And obviously our website is uh, thekingscanvas.org. So uh, that's the best way to connect with us uh, through all of our social media platforms, uh, email address, and even on our website, uh, there's a section if you want to email in to us and, you know, uh, you know, I can call you back or something. I don't want to give my number out publicly. <laughs> oh, no, no problem. <laughs> yes, sir. And of course, I'll put all of the information in the description of the episode. Hey, Kevin, thanks again for the conversation, man. I really appreciate you. Appreciate you, man. Yes, sir. Good people. That concludes right. another dope episode of the Gumtown Podcast. In the meantime, in between time, y'all know what to do. Be blessed, be safe, but most importantly, have the audacity to be you. Go on. Thanks again for tuning in. I appreciate your time and your attention. Until next time.